Welcome to Coffee Talk with Linda Davis. I'm Linda Davis. Before we dive into God's Word today, just a little about myself. I love Jesus, I love coffee, and I love sharing keys to abundant living. So, go grab a cup of coffee and join me today as I talk about forgiveness and how forgiveness is not an option, but it is a choice. And I want to start with this scripture in Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. So while you're turning there, I just, I just want to say this as we get started today. We have to take God at his word, not our opinion, not even our translation, actually. We have to study it out. We have to dig into the meanings of the word. We cannot go by opinion. We cannot go by our quote unquote take of what God meant in that scripture. Dig in a little more. Certainly not by our feelings. We have to go by his word. So starting in Matthew chapter 18 at verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now I want to stop here and add this, and I'll do this a little bit as I'm reading this scripture. In Peter's mind, in my opinion, he's already thinking that seven times is a lot to forgive someone, right? As many, he says, as many as seven times. So he's already thinking that's a lot. And right, let, let's even think about that from our perspective. If somebody hurts you seven times, like when are you going to be done? When are you no longer going to forgive? When are you going to, when are you going to just be like, that's unacceptable. I'm not forgiving you this time. Now there's a difference between, and we're going to get into this later. There's a difference between forgiving and exposing and, you know, having dinner with somebody you know, inviting them in your home, remaining in fellowship, that's different. I'm not talking about that. I don't think we expose ourselves to hurts over and over and over again, but we do have to forgive over and over and over again. So back to the scripture. In Peter's mind, he's already thinking seven times is a high number. So Jesus responds to him, and this is Jesus speaking. <laughs> this was my thought when I read it. He's, Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, right? So Peter's probably thinking, see, I knew it. I knew we wouldn't have to forgive seven times, right? That would be too much. I knew Jesus would agree with me, but that's not the case. Most times that's not the case. Most times the word of God doesn't tend to agree with our rationale, our thinking process. But Jesus adds to that. 77 times, he says. I would love to be standing there and see Peter's face in this moment, right? I would love to, like, you know, I kind of, I don't know if you've watched The Chosen or not, but I watched The Chosen and I love it. And I love how they really show a lot from the disciples' perspective and how they're just as human as we all are. And they struggled with the same emotions and feelings as they walked with Jesus, as we struggle with on a daily basis. So Peter here, I, he's got to be thinking, seriously, you want me to forgive somebody 77 times? And then Jesus goes on to say this, therefore, 
the kingdom of heaven may be compared. And I don't want you to miss this because in, you know, I haven't looked up every single parable in the Bible, so I don't want to say every parable here, but most parables start off with some kind of phrase like this, depending on your translation from Jesus, where he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven may be compared to this story I'm about to tell you. That's why he told us parables. He's saying to us, this is something down here on earth that would be similar to how God functions. This is how it goes down in heaven. If this story were to happen, this is how it would go down in heaven. So I'm giving you an earthly example so you can maybe wrap your mind around what I'm talking about. That's what the parables are doing for us. So he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king, maybe like a king, God, who wished to settle accounts with his servants. God wants all accounts settled all the time. That's why he sent his son. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He wants the account settled so we can have free fellowship with him. He wants the sin covered. He doesn't want us to have to wait once a year and only the priest can go in and make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. That's why he sent Jesus. So the king wished to settle his accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now that's a lot. And I thought as I read this, what does that actually look like today? Like, what kind of money are we talking about today? So according to Google, it comes out to $226 billion. Wait, I'm sorry. $226,291,702,050. Okay, so it's going to take a minute to pay that off. Basically, he can't. He can't pay it off. Just like we can't pay off our sin. Are you seeing the correlation? We can't pay off our sin, but the king wants no debt between us. When you owe somebody something, it's a different relationship than when you owe nothing. And that's what that's what he's talking about here, right? So it's a lot. It's undoable, just like for us. We cannot atone for our own sin. There's not enough animals to sacrifice. We don't have enough time in the day to sacrifice animals for all our sin. And so now Jesus continues speaking, and he says, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had. Now that's a whole nother message in there to the men. So if you're a man and you're listening to this, I dig into that because you know what? The man's debt, the whole family was going to have to pay for. So that's just a little side note. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him. I already read that. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him. You know, you might as well say he was begging, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. He can't. And the king knows it. Have patience with me and I'll pay you $226 billion. Like really? Out of pity for him, the king. So the king here has pity for him. I would say God, God has compassion for us. That's the difference. God doesn't pity us, but he has compassion for us. That's why he sent his son. He has compassion and love and he desired relationship with us. But the king has pity. 
the master of that servant simply released him. He released him and forgave him the debt, just like us. When we go to God, which we have to go and ask him, that's what the servant's doing here. Yeah, we don't have to beg, but he's asking. We go and we ask for forgiveness and we're forgiven, right? And honestly, I've read this parable before and I've thought this servant is absolutely ridiculous in what he does next. And I've thought, how, how could you even do that? Like, I don't even understand how you do that. This is the issue with unforgiveness. This is what we do. We think the servant is ridiculous in this parable, but honestly, when we refuse to forgive somebody else, we function this way in our lives. What way? For those that aren't familiar, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, obviously that doesn't sound like as much as 10,000 talents, but I still decided to look it up to understand. Because we know when we read the parable, there's not a comparison. We know it's less than $226 billion. But how much less than? How much? It equals about, on an average, about 100 working days for us today. So not even a third of our year salary compared to $226 billion, which I don't know about most of you, but I'm never paying that off. So he goes to, to a servant of his, or fellow servant, the Bible says, he goes to one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, okay? And seizing him, he began to choke him. Now, did he forget what just happened to him? Did he, like us, did he forget all he had just been forgiven of. Like, my goodness. So he begins choking him. Like he doesn't even approach him in the same way the king approached him. Pay what you owe. Demanding, basically. Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. The same thing the first servant did. But the first servant is not even seeing how ridiculous he's being. He's been released of so much and his memory is so short term with the offense before him that he's dealing with and he's demanding his pay. And he's basically saying the same thing. He's, he's begging in the same way, hey, have patience with me and I will pay you for equivalent back then of one day's work. That's what a denarii was. So the first servant refuses. It says he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Now, obviously nobody needs to go report to God when we're not forgiving. He looks upon the heart and he knows when we, when we, when we receive freedom in our lives from God and we turn around and judge others, we're doing the same thing that this servant did. It's the same thing. We have to wrap our minds around that. It's Jesus speaking, not me. He's using it as a parable. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. Don't be like this. So when his fellow servants saw what had taken, they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. 
And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? That's what Jesus is saying when he tells us that we have to forgive to be forgiven. If we don't forgive, we're not forgiven. He's basically saying it's not even the same measure, but extend the same mercy I've I've extended to you. Now, God's not going to call us a wicked servant. I don't think he's thinking about us in that way, but... Us forgiving is not an option, but yet like this servant, we have a choice. And so in, in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay off all his debt. So now right here in the last scripture, the last verse 35, Jesus is bringing it all back around here. He's bring, he's, this is his conclusion if he was preaching on a Sunday morning right? He's bringing it back to his first point when he said the kingdom of heaven is like, right? He's bringing it back to this. Verse 35, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, from your heart, not just in action, not just through words, but from your heart. I'm going to read it one more time so you don't miss it. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And think about this. When we refuse to forgive someone, we're saying they don't have the same capacity to change as we have. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. But when we make that choice for them by not giving them forgiveness, then they're kind of locked in, so to speak. Maybe they'll never change, but that's not on us. That The part that's on us is the forgiveness. And really, we live in a culture that is easily outraged at any sense of injustice and the strong desire to make sure someone pays for the injustice, even if that itself is unjust. Like there's no apologizing in forgiveness now. That It's like almost... Even if when people do apologize, it doesn't matter. They want people canceled, right? Anybody speaks out a term in any capacity, any mess up, whether intentional or unintentional, that doesn't even matter. Whether sorry or not sorry, they're like, somebody has to pay. You have to pay a price for this. It's almost like there's an outrage. I would even, I would even go so far as to say people today are offended at the very thought of forgiveness, like, why should I have to forgive? I don't want to, ha- I don't want to forgive. Why should I have to do that? I mean, unforgiveness is a bait of Satan's, honestly, and it keeps us bound up. And the unforgiveness roots in us and it becomes anger, it becomes resentment, and it ends with a guarded heart, if not a hardened heart, which ends up in a place of bitterness, which is life altering. Why? Because it not only impacts us personally, emotionally, potentially physically, but it also impacts so many relationships around us. What are some reasons that people give for not forgiving? They're not apologizing. That's a big one. I have no respect for them. Oh, I'm not, I'm not mad anymore. I'm not hurt anymore, but I'm not going to forgive. I can't forgive. I'll put it more so that way. Then, then you haven't let go of the anger. You haven't let go of the hurt. Because if the memory stirs up emotions and a response, 
then you haven't forgiven. That's a good red flag that you haven't forgiven. When a memory, when a thought process or an encounter stirs the emotion up in you again, and you have a response to the memory or the person, then you haven't forgiven. And God is always gracious enough to show us when we have not yet forgiven. A lot of people don't agree. And this is some things I'm going to get into. Uh, How's forgiving them for me? I can't forgive them because they haven't changed. That's not the point of forgiveness. Even when you take the Lord out of the equation, uh, so psychologists, counselors, life coaches that aren't Christian-based all say forgiveness, regardless of whether the other person is pursuing it or not, is vital in our lives. Another thing you hear, I cannot forgive someone who doesn't see their wrongdoing. I love them, but I'll love them guarded, which is actually very accurate because it means you haven't forgiven. You know, but those are some things, you know, why should I forgive? They're not sorry. They need to pay. They need to show change first, etc. So, you know, they need to earn their forgiveness. That's kind of a uh, silent functioning we do a lot in marriages, actually. Like, you hurt me, so until you're nice enough to me that I feel like you've paid for how you hurt me or how you offended me, I'm going to respond to you differently than I do on our normal daily interactions. We're making them earn their forgiveness, our spouses, when we do that to our spouse. No, that's wrong. That's no different than the first servant in the parable in Matthew. It's no different. We can't earn forgiveness. You either forgive or you don't. You either love unconditionally or you don't. Withholding forgiveness is about our need, our feeling for justice. When we withhold forgiveness, honestly, we're satisfying self. We're numbing the hurt. We're numbing the trauma. It's a debt we want paid or we feel can never be paid and we'll just hold them in contempt. But we must remember, we must remember something, you know, and this isn't in relation to marriages at all, but overall being hurt, being offended, we have to remember that Jesus said in John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they come at you, if they came at me, they'll come at you. You know, if they hurt me, they're going to hurt you. I mean, the one that has the most significant um, examples, I guess, life examples for us in unforgiveness. So when we're talking about if they persecuted you, they persecuted me. You know, Jesus was persecuted to the point of being put on the cross. So we're probably all mostly familiar with this, right? But he forgave those very people. That's the thing. He forgave those very people who murdered him basically before he died. He forgave them. The ones responsible for him being crucified. He said about them, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. You know, one of the, there's probably in all four gospels. I'm not for sure on that, but it is in Luke 23 verse 34. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. But yet it seemed like they knew what they were doing, didn't it? It seemed like they knew they wanted the man murdered. It seems like they knew he was the innocent one. Just like to us sometimes, it seems like somebody, they know what they're doing. But I really, in most cases, I don't think they understand. Most people don't understand the depth of the hurt, the level of the hurt. Now, again, I want to say this and I'll say it over and over again. I'm not talking about exposing yourself to more hurt. 
If you have to put distance, you put distance, but you still have to forgive. You have to for you. So what a picture this is of Jesus on the cross. And he specifically asks God to forgive those who are crucifying him, those that are cursing him, yelling at him, thrust a crown of thorns into his head and beat him and called for his death over a guilty man, nailed to the cross, hanging between two criminals who were being justly punished by the laws of that day for their crimes. His clothes are being gambled for. He hangs there beaten and humiliated for no other reason than that the leaders hated him and were threatened by him. And yet, what does he say? Father, forgive him, them, sorry. Father, forgive them from the cross facing death in probably incredible, treacherous pain. And his response is to forgive. So when you think about the phrase, what would Jesus do? That's what Jesus would do. That's it right there. No confusion. There's no questions to be asked. Should I forgive this? Should I forgive that? Unless you've been beaten and put on a cross, anything that falls below that and equal to that, which we're all alive, so that hasn't taken place. Yes, you should forgive. Yes, if it has to be a hundred times over, forgive, forgive, forgive. These ones that were beating him, by the way, these ones that nailed him to the cross, these ones that mocked him and humiliated him, guess what? They weren't asking for forgiveness. They weren't asking for it. They weren't the least bit sorry when he chose to forgive. How powerful is that? They weren't the least bit remorseful when he chose to forgive. They were right in the middle of their horrible actions. And his words are, Father, forgive them. I mean, this is so powerful. And it's like we almost minimize it to protect ourselves, our mind, our mindset of it all. We think of it as a story at times and not a real life situation that truly took place. And to me, this is the ultimate bar, the ultimate example This is when Jesus says, no, Peter, 77 times you have to forgive. He knew what he was going to walk out. It's an example of choosing to forgive whether someone is asking or not, whether someone is remorseful or not, whether someone's going to change or not, whether someone realizes the depth of the consequences of their actions or not, you simply forgive. And what does forgiving do? It brings freedom to our hearts. Just like Jesus choosing to forgive brought freedom to him and all of us because he chose to forgive or he chose to ask God to forgive them. That's really what he did, right? So maybe that's what we do. Lord, I need you to forgive them so I can forgive them. I need your help. And we can't forgive without God's help. Like we cannot do it. We cannot in our own be like, I'm going to make the choice here to forgive. No, we cry out, Jesus, help me stand in my decision to forgive. If we have to do it day after day after day for the rest of our life, that's what we have to do. One day, we won't have that same emotional response and it'll be God's grace and mercy showing us, guess what? You've actually forgiven. 
there's a freeing inside of us when we choose to do this, regardless of the other person. Doesn't mean we have them over for dinner every night. Every night. It doesn't mean we open ourselves up to future hurt. I can't say that enough. But it does mean we no longer have a trigger or a response when we see or think of this person or what they've done or even what they didn't do. We have to give some forgiveness for things people didn't do that they should have done in our lives. And the unforgiveness no longer has an unseen hold on us. We've all been hurt. We all carry hurts in our life. Not to the same measure, obviously, as being crucified on on the cross. I mean, even, even if you think about it, even Jesus, you know, one of his closest friends uh, denied him three times and he knew it during this very difficult season. So maybe not to this measure, but we've all been hurt and we've all done some hurting, honestly. You know, it reminds me of the scripture that's in John 8, 7, who, where it says, Jesus says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. None of them could. None of us can say we've never had to be forgiven by God and by other people. So why are we holding back forgiveness to other people? Every one of us, everyone listening, if we were in the same room together, we could all sit here and we could think of the deepest hurt, the deepest trauma that we had in our lives, the worst possible thing that we've gone through, the worst hurt we've experienced. And you know what? They would all be different, each and every one of them. And you can't measure the hurts to someone's heart versus someone else's heart. You know, if we were all in the room and we we're all sharing our stories of the worst, I'm talking in one story of the worst thing you've been through. There'd be some people in the room that I've been through worse stuff than them. And then there'd be other people in the room that they've been through worse stuff than me. So there's all different levels and all different kinds. But it doesn't matter because the hurt that hit my heart still hit my heart. And the hurt that hit your heart still hit your heart. You can't measure it, but you've been hurt. And sometimes it's something we cannot forget. Sometimes it's something we didn't deserve. And it went deep enough that it's now in our memory and it rears its ugly head every once in a while. And somehow, because of that, the hurt keeps on hurting. You know, we have some things... We have some hurts that, you know, we can just basically ignore. We can get over quickly. We can forgive easily. We can forgive quickly. We may even think, oh, I don't know if they need to, if that needs forgiveness. But how do you know you need to extend forgiveness? It's like I said earlier, you have a trigger. You have an emotional response or a physical response when a thought comes up or a person comes up. That shows you you need to forgive. There are things that aren't a big deal, but there are some that are very deep hurts and we just plain never deserved. We all have those things in our life. Actually, nobody ever deserves to be hurt at any time, but somehow these hurts, these traumas even I would say, that haven't been forgiven, they basically come back from our past, our yesterday, which is over, it's gone, it should be done with, but they come from that time into our present, and they somehow remain alive and active. And it's like we're betrayed all over. We're hurt all over. We're abused all over, right? Whatever it might be, the trust is broken all over. They're the hurts that just don't heal because we have not forgiven. We hold the key. We're not the healer, but we hold the key. 
Hurts do not just heal with the passing of time. You hear that phrase, time heals everything? No, it doesn't. (laughs) No, time does not heal. It might dull the pain, but it does not heal. The only thing that heals is God. The pain may dull, but it does not heal. And forgiveness is vital. It's a must. It's a necessity. It's actually not even up for conversation. No matter how much we think we can't forgive, we actually can in and through Christ. We can do this with the help of Jesus. We stop in that moment and we pray, Lord, I need your help. I cannot do this without you. It's a choice we make, maybe even again and again. And I would even say it's a determined choice because it's not a one time. It's not an overnight choice. And you can go through life not forgiving people, but there's a cost to holding on. There's a cost to holding on to that debt owed. And we think we're making the one we won't forgive pay, and maybe we are, but we're also making ourselves and those that we treasure, the ones closest to us we, and the, that we treasure and that we love. They're paying a price too because we can't forgive the other people. So we're not giving the ones that we love the most and treasure the most. We're not giving them our best selves because we're not giving them a person in freedom. We cannot have all God intended us to have if we refuse to forgive. And those around us will not have all God intended them to have, especially children being raised. Or it's much more difficult for them if we're not a forgiving person. Because eventually, we become a bitter person. And a bitter person is hurtful to those around them. Whether it's knowingly or unknowingly. Whether it's intentional or unintentional. A bitter person hurts others only because they are hurting. The triggers we have are real, and most of them come from a root of unforgiveness. So I'm going to end this here, and I'm going to release a podcast next week, and I'm going to pick up right here on forgiveness. And some of the things that we'll talk about next week, so be sure to tune in if you've listened to this podcast, because it will be important. You know, what does forgiveness mean to you? What is forgiveness? What what is forgiveness not? Some of those questions. Um, you know, what I would say is, I guess, five big areas of, of forgiveness, maybe four. I'm trying to count in my head while I'm talking. Different areas of forgiveness. What, what do you find most difficult and why? And how we process through those. I want to hit all those points, but I don't want to rush through it. So I'm going to pick this back up and release a podcast again next week. I've usually been only doing about once a month um, this year, but I will do that next week. So this one will be uh, Forgiveness is Not an Option. And I think I'll title next week's uh, Forgiveness is a Choice. And so you can look for those and tune in, please, again next week. And we'll pick up right here 